Hello everybody, welcome to a special episode of Still Unbelievable. This time we're talking about challenges facing people who deconvert as parents. We've been running a series of episodes of deconversion experiences and what works and what doesn't. And so I wanted to go into a practical application episode here. So I've got together a couple of other people who are also parents like myself. We've all lost our faith as parents and we're continuing to be parents as people who are deconstructed. So this is going to be a conversation about how we manage that and how we handle that. So in no particularly special order, I'd like to welcome Bethany onto the podcast. Welcome, Bethany. It's a pleasure to have you on. Tell us about yourself. Hi, Matthew. Thank you for having me on. I lost my faith about two years ago, and I had a three-year-old and a four-month-old at the time. Uh, thank you. And then you brought along a friend of yours, Kyla. Uh, Kayla? Sorry, am I pronouncing That's it okay. badly yes, in Kayla. British? <laughs> okay. Um, it's the old British-American thing. It's the oddest words get pronounced differently. So tell us about yourselves, Kayla. All right. I, I like the name Kyla, too. That sounds good as well. <laughs> um, in my deconstruction process, I actually legally changed my name. So my name has not always been Kayla Jo. Um, but I deconverted January 2019, so just over a year ago. And my kids are currently... 5, 8, 11, 12, 12, and 15. Golly, you've got quite a brood there. That's um, And you and Bethany are both really quite recent deconverts. So this, I think this is going to be quite interesting, actually. And then finally, somebody who I've had on before, and I'm very glad to have him back again. Welcome, Clint. We Thank you uh, for having me on. Yes, I am the host of the MindShift podcast. I was a, a long-time, I guess, deconvert, uh, deconverted person. I was a pastor in Portland, Oregon, going back now about 15, 16 years ago, maybe a little bit more, and I was sort of in the process of doing so, and then we came over here to do a PhD in the UK, and since then I've walked away. It's probably been about 10 years, but I've got two grown-up daughters, so that's a different situation than Kayla and Bethany are in. And for those who don't know any of my history I've, I've loosely mentioned it only a couple of episodes that we've done i deconverted about 12 years ago now and i have a single teenage daughter as in i only have the one daughter and, and she is single but that's not really relevant um <laughs> and so i deconverted when she was very very young so she's grown up knowing that she's got this heathen atheist uh, father <laughs> so that's um my experience. So I'll quickly throw in some of the the issues that, or, or probably one of the major, the, the biggest ish problem areas that we've had to overcome at home. Because for for context, I'm the only one in the household who deconstructed. My wife is still a Christian; she remains a Christian, and my daughter has grown up as a Christian, always gone to church with her mother, and is currently a Christian. She had her; she was baptized about three years ago now I think uh, no two years ago and so I was I went and I attended that and I think probably one of the biggest challenges that my wife and I have had in terms of being parents where where one of us is atheist and one isn't is having those conversations in front of our daughter my wife was very very keen that the religion conversations are, are her domain and I can do the science. We kind of had a, a separation of that. And that's an uncomfortable ground to walk on. I'm I'm not going to comment on whether or not that's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do because 
different couples are going to do this differently. But I, I think it's difficult if you're going to do an absolute separation because they'll always be crossing ground. So I think my wife was just trying to be fair in terms of, terms of splitting things. But I think what, my word to any Christians that are listening to this is you can't really bar somebody who's atheist from talking about religion because they are still capable of forming an opinion about religion. And especially if they're a deconvert, you know, they will have opinions, they will have value comments to make about religion. So that's quite a difficult thing to say. And I didn't receive that that kind of suggestion very well, to be honest. But it's really difficult to have those conversations where the two parents fundamentally disagree about the value of religion mm. and to have those in a constructive way in front of a child. So we, for the most part, didn't have any of those conversations in, in front of our daughter. And I think that's probably the right way to do it. But of course, what that means is, you know, my wife takes her to church on a Sunday for, for a decade, and I have very, very little spiritual impact inputs uh, onto her. So she becomes Christian. Now, I'm not saying that as a grumble. That's just you know, the fact of the matter of, of how it happens. And of course, now that she's older, she's a little bit more involved and we have a little bit of that conversation, but it's it's very, 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 very small. I'm hoping that as she gets older and a little bit more free to argue back to her dad, that those conversations will, will happen a, a bit more often and we can have a fruitful conversation on that. But that was kind of how we tried to manage it as a couple in our household. I'm sure there's more I can say about that. Did you guys have similar different experiences? Do you have any thoughts on that experience? Well, I mean, like mine, it was very tension filled for several months with my husband and I before we actually came to terms with the fact that I had deconverted. And I mean, really, when we were stuck in Christian counseling, which I'm not there anymore, you know, I was in the process of figuring out that I was losing my faith. And then once issues like discipline issues started to come up, I mean, that's when it kind of brought everything to the forefront, to our attention. And then I had to tell my husband eventually, like, hey, I don't believe this stuff anymore. And I need you to understand that. And that caused a lot of friction in our marriage. And it was a rocky ride for about a year. Is your husband still a Christian? No, he was kind of more like kind of like your backseat type of Christian, not real super involved, but he, like he still believed in God, but he's moved from that now to an agnostic. And that's been quite a process. We've had lots of conversations about theology. Hmm. Excellent. And Kylie? Yeah, my husband is still a believer. And we've gotten to the point now where we let our children choose whether or not they're going to go to church. And half of them choose to go and half of them choose to not go. But like you and your wife with conversations between my husband and I about religion never happen in front of the children. In fact, they barely happen at all because I just get so frustrated at his inability to see where I'm coming from and having to spit the truth back out at me that I already know. Well, not really the truth, <laughs> his truth <laughs> that I just I don't like to have the conversations because I've come to the point where. I have accepted that it's not my job to help people deconvert necessarily, but if they come to me with questions, then there's my open door to be like, hey, this is why I do or don't see things this way anymore. And I think that will work better with 
my children personally, instead of trying, you know, if dad takes them to church, instead of me being like, hey, did you know this might not be true because of that? But as they naturally are allowed to think critically and grow up and question things, they'll know who they can come to to get different answers that they might be looking for. And so I'm kind of just, it feels kind of helpless in the situation we're in now, but I'm kind of just trying to trust the process that as they grow up and naturally question what they can't see, then they'll see more of reality. Yeah, I, I, I get that. My daughter and I, we've had this long going thing for a long, long time where she gets a fun fact in the evening as part of the bedtime story routine. And that's usually something that's sciencey based. So either something cool evolutionary or something that's uh, astronomical and uh, those have been great gateways to having good conversations but one of the things that's that I feel is if I try to say something critical about religion or faith uh, to my daughter especially if it's just the two of us having a conversation there's always this thing at the back of my head this little kind of like pang of guilt saying you're just trying to deconvert her. You're not allowed to do that. Do you get that kind of thing, Kyla? Um, no, because I really don't talk to them about it unless they bring it up. Like, I, I know what you're talking about, kind of, though, because I feel that heaviness when I want to tell them stuff and I don't because I don't know how to just bring it up out of the blue and be like, hey, use your mind, think, you know. But so I see where you're coming from, but I'm being just a year and I'm still trying to learn how to navigate how to even bring up these conversations or even if I should. Mm. Yeah, I, I get you. And, and Clint, if I remember right from our previous conversation, you and your wife, you deconstructed in a similar kind of time frame. Is that yes. right? Yes. I was thinking about it. <clears throat> I jotted down a couple of notes and I was thinking uh, there's at least three aspects to this whole thing. And that that's certainly one of them. I mean, on the one hand, you've got, your own personal journey of deconstruction and all the traumas and issues that you have to work through around that, just your own belief system and your relationships with others in the church or whatever religion you're a part of. But then that further complicates things with the second aspect, which is the relationship. If you have a partner or a spouse and they, what if they don't deconvert or they're in a different place? And then that brings up a third issue, which is of course, children uh, if you have children and the other partner doesn't deconvert in the same place that you're at, uh, how, like your example, how do you raise that child or children? And fortunately, in, in our case, we, yeah, like you said, we were both reading the same authors and we were going through a lot of the same stuff at the same time. And our girls were old enough by the time we really walked away that they were pretty sick of the church <laughs> as well. So they didn't want to go anymore. So they were like, okay. I don't, we don't have to go. Sweet. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so wow. you, the whole, all of you basically did it in the same time then. Yeah. Well, our, yeah, our daughters were getting, like I say, they were having increasing problems with the, cause they were sort of at the youth group stage, right? you know, uh, mid teens and late teens by that time. And they had gone to some really big uh, teen rallies here in the UK. And every time they'd come home, they were more and more disillusioned by the hype and all the stuff that went on, right. the drama, and they were questioning things as, as we were too. And we were having discussions about it as a family. And we finally had a discussion about that. We were not going to be going back to this church that we went to. 
And they were their response was, "Oh, thank God, <laughs> wow." It's it's interesting here you say that because in before I was a parent, I was involved with Christian youth camps here in the UK and uh, did a regular camp for crumbs for basically for ten years. I didn't quite do it every year, but you know, over the course of twelve years, I did this about nine times. So quite a long period of time and by and large the kids loved it and you saw the same kids come back year after mm. year but every now and then there was a couple of kids that would come through and you could see that they just weren't engaging with it and it was really hard to see why I don't know whether it was personalities or whether they just didn't engage with the way that the the Christian message was being pushed across them but it was they just kind of like stand out you just get these kids that come through and you can just see that they're not getting it and as a christian then as a christian leader then it was immensely frustrating because you say how do how do i get through to these kids these kids are just rejecting the truth of this message but th there is that these kids exist who don't engage with it and of course now i'm on the other side i look and i and i probably look at them in a different light so i'd love to meet those same types of teenagers or or young people now and see if i can just engage with them on a different level now and see what it is that the christian message just doesn't seem to work with them yeah that would be a fascinating conversation yeah mm -hmm. so kyla you said some of your kids go to church and some don't presumably they were all brought up to be church kids whatever the right phrase is did they all commit or was there a difference with the way they behaved well half of my kids are adopted from foster care um because when i was a christian i believed that it was my responsibility to take care of the orphans it took the bible very literally and so i brought those orphans into my home and contrary to what my gut was telling me don't do this you're going to ruin your family i adopted anyway because god told me that he was bigger and he could handle it mm. and <laughs> and Ooh. so i adopted older than my oldest even which i was cautioned not to do i was like no god's got this this is his thing it's over my head but he's got it and and so that's how we got six kids. And so as far as all of them being Christian, I don't know if they all even know what that means. As far as I know, um, they've only, we've been in seeker friendly churches a lot. So I think that most of them only know the loving side of God for the most part, and they don't know what the Bible really says. And so they call themselves Christians because they believe that Jesus loves them type of thing. So they're at least in a less toxic form of Christianity, um, but as far as I know, they've all said that they are Christian, except for, I don't know about my eight year old because she actually went to school earlier in the year and told her friends that Jesus wasn't real. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Whoops. Wow. That is like, and you know, we are in school, a school system that like is very religious cause we're in Texas and they do um religious christmas songs and like all oh. kinds of stuff <laughs> was that you bethany <laughs> yes sorry <laughs> and so, so for natalie to go to school and say hey jesus isn't real and all her friends attacked her yes they is that's like you know the equivalent to saying santa claus isn't real so in wow. so many hey, it's ways the same thing wait right wait wait what is <laughs> <it's>... <laughs> you don't ruin anybody's christmas bethany <laughs> wait what <laughs> Are you saying Santa Claus isn't real, Bethany? Come on. I know. Way to do that publicly, Bethany. That, that's just not okay. Just you, do a minimal fa you could do a minimal <laughs> facts argument for Santa Claus, I'm sure, right? 
Mm. Oh, that sounds like a challenge. Oh, we, we so need... There you go. There's my Christmas episode done. We so need to do that. <laughs> Actually, yeah, a lot of Christians, they do have... A, their faith is they, they see God as Santa Claus, don't they? I mean, I know that's yeah. not what we're talking about, but it's true. He's, he's watching everything that you do. He's rewarding good behavior and he's punishing bad behavior. You don't get your presents if you're not good. And uh, he's a magical person, you know, so... There's a lot of right. correlations between God and Santa Claus. There really is, which there is really why is. my parents did not teach me Santa Claus, because they were afraid. They were taught that if they lied to me about Santa Claus, I would think they lied to me about Jesus. I had exactly that conversation oh. with people in church who were new parents about the same time we were parents. And it was really quite interesting having that whole Santa Claus conversation and several of our really strong Christian friends just went straight out and said, Santa Claus isn't real because of exactly that dilemma. Yeah. They crazy. completely killed the magic of Santa Claus. Uh. They, they just didn't want that trap. <sighs> Kyler, about the, about the adoption. So you said it was about a year ago you deconstructed. So it's still quite yeah. fresh yeah, for you. And the kids, you've presumably had them for several years. Um, I've had the adopted kids now for, I think, three years. They've been adopted for two and a half. Okay, so still relatively new again. but Yeah. So your doubts must have come on quite quickly. From your doubts to it being a done deal must have been a relatively short space of time. I do everything so quickly. Like, it's just my... My natural life direction is crazy. But yeah, everything that I do in life just happens quickly from deconstructing to mostly reconstructing where it usually doesn't bother me most of the time to just everything I've always done has been like that. Did your deconstruction change the way you view the adopted kids? Well, um, it's kind of complicated because it changes how I view what I did as far as the adoption. Because when I adopted, as I mentioned earlier... I did it as a project, pretty much, you know. I mean, I don't view them as a project anymore, so it changes that. But I didn't consider the fact that I would be hurting my biological kids. And, like, in obeying God instead of taking care of my family and taking on more kids over my head, I had the energy to do that because God is supposed to provide that energy and you do everything in his power. Well, now that that's gone... And I look at what I've done and I have biological children who are randomly suicidal and the dynamics between the kids. A lot of times it's good, but the energy in my house is very, I guess, difficult would be a good word because my biological oldest is no longer the oldest and the adopted oldest tries so hard. She's got a great heart, but she's got so much baggage baggage that you just see her going at my biological kids and... I don't know if I had it to do over again with how I view them. I view them as humans. I love them a lot. But as a human myself, I would not adopt again. And I say this carefully because I love them as humans, as little humans. (laughs) But I was not using my brain in what I was capable of for my family. Does that make sense? Mm. that that does and i i hear i hear the love and that was what i was wanting to i think that was the point i was really going for i wasn't expecting the other things you say but it makes Uh perfect sense what you said but i'm also hearing that you don't love them less now that you're no longer a christian no i don't love them less exactly i love more actually 
Oh, that's really cool to hear. Yeah. And maybe that's something we can uh, unpack later on. I think what Christianity puts onto us in terms of parenthood, I think can be quite damaging. And I think you've edged in on a little bit, bit of it there. And I remember one experience I had, it was before my wife and I became parents. We waited 10 years into marriage before having our daughter. And I remember being told off at around about year nine because I was, wasn't was abiding by my Christian duty and, and procreating. And that was quite a quite a painful experience to, to go through. And I think being a Christian and being a part of a couple and whether and regardless of whether you've got no kids or kids, I think there are parts of the Christian message that unthinkingly puts us into places which are unhelpful. And, and I think we both uh, had that for, from, from different uh, areas. And um, so, um, Bethany, how did deconstruction change you and how how you view parenthood? Well, I've, I've like before I was already opposed to like biblical type of parenting anyway. So like that part wasn't hard. Um, but, you know, after having kids, like I thought I was going to be like everyone else as far as parenting goes, you know raise them up in some sort of Christian background, maybe just without the spanking component. But I, you know, I, when I had my first child, I just, I stared at him and I just remember thinking like, there is no way in this world I'm going to hit him. And I, and I made a vow to myself at least that I was going to follow recognized scientific principles or consult my pediatrician because I was spanked as a child regularly and I, I refused to go down that path and I didn't want to be the authoritarian type of parent that my parents were. So, you know, I kind of veered, I went down that quote unquote slippery slope of finding other methods that were outside of the Bible that were more quote unquote secular and more worldly in nature. And <laughs> that set me up t- to move towards being an atheist. But, um, you know, I just, I see my kids less as objects, something to train up or to mold into some sort of dogma or whatever. And and my my main concern is see them more as humans and have a more humanistic type approach and recognize them as individuals and not try to, you know, stifle their personality and make them adhere to some sort of, you know, Yahweh type of God. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about about spanking because... Discipline, I think, is probably one area that jumps out to me as an obvious area of difference between Christians, certainly fundamentalist Christians, and uh, people who are non-religious in terms of how they they view discipline. Does anyone want to to comment on that? I was going to just say, yeah, that was my experience. Like Bethany's growing up, my parents were fundamentalist. They were trying to follow the Bill Gothard teachings which was really pro-spanking. You had to spank the child until they cried. That's what they actually taught their followers, that you knew then when the child had cried that you'd broken their will and you'd broken their inclination to sin. And so I was spanked daily, sometimes multiple times a day, for any little infraction. Me and my sister, I can remember getting spanking after spanking after spanking, and, you know, you think, God, what does that do to a kid? Because I look yeah. at it now, that was tantamount to abuse on multiple levels. Mm-hmm. It was certainly physical abuse, if not an emotional abuse, the terror and the trauma 
of knowing that for anything you could get a severe, pretty severe spanking, and that that and it was all done in the name of God. That's the whole thing is that God was attached to it. They were quoting Bible verses like "Spare the rod and spoil the child," and that was that was seen as God's, you know, mandate for parents or Christian parents anyway. Yeah, yeah, I that. remember being spanked a lot as a child, too. Yeah. And I remember clearly thinking, my parents don't understand me, and they're hurting me, and I don't understand. I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, and God told <laughs> them to do it. Right. <laughs> this is the way to raise children that then become good, godly, you know, adults. Did you ever get the, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you before uh, the spanking? Every time. Every All time. time. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't doesn't help, does it? Nope. No. no and then, oh, I'm sorry. I was no. going to say, I, I, I don't think it was. It definitely wasn't daily for me, but yeah, there were spanks and the the adults that did it because I went to boarding school as a young child as well, so it came from them as well as my father. Oh wow! And it's um, it's a great way of causing a child to lose respect in you. That's all I'm going to say on that. Yeah, yeah, our schools even still spank here. Wow! Wow! There would be an outcry if a school did it in in the UK. If any parent came home and said their teacher had uh, spanked the child, it would be in the newspapers and there would literally be hell to pay. It would would be a major controversy. As it should. (laughs) Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, One thing I didn't mention, um, because this is from my adopted daughter's perspective, she's 15 and she... Every couple months, she tells me, I'm so glad you left the church because I like the way you parent now. So it definitely made a difference in my parenting. She's like, life is so much better now that you don't go to church. But the funny thing is she loves God and goes to church, but she holds it very loosely. Like hmm. she she right. just views it all as, you know, lovey-dovey stuff. And she has not read her whole Bible before. But for her to recognize my adoptive mom quit being Christian but she is so much easier to get along with now. What does that tell you? <laughs> yeah, there's there's a good way. Do you, has she pinpointed what is different about the way you parent? Um, she hasn't ever come out and said specifics necessarily, but I think it's in how I handle things now. For example, her relationships with boys or how she you know her stuff with her cell phone like I no longer feel like I have to control her and I think that's the big thing like I'm not harping on her and preaching at her for you know you need to do this because of that but you know what we just had a conversation the other day she um had had I saw some text messages that were you know talking about stuff she had done and I was like you know what this is a human thing and it's not bad but you need to take care of yourself and so the perspective that I have on raising her now and giving her the freedom to be independent and make her own choices and not view her as bad or dirty and just to teach her to be responsible. <laughs> Excuse me. Instead, I think I think that helps her a lot in our relationship where she realizes I can be whoever I decide to be at the time. And even if she regrets what she did, I'm not judging her. Hmm. Right. Hmm. I need to ask this question because I've got a <clears throat> teenage daughter What's it? What is different when you're no longer a Christian and you've got a daughter to look out for who is getting to the age of dating and there may be quite serious relationships and there is activity going on which you 
cannot control. Mm-hmm. How does not being a Christian change how you feel about those experiences? Well, the purity culture is a huge thing in evangelicalism. That's one thing that changed with our daughters when they got to that age where they could become, let's say, sexually active. And of course, in the church, that's hugely frowned upon. You have to remain a virgin until your wedding night and all the rest of it. You know, with our daughters, we just sat them down. We had to talk about, okay, if you're going to do this, be safe and be smart. Um, You know, and it wasn't like this devastating thing. If you lose your virginity when you're a teenager, I mean, I can remember my couple of my sisters lost their virginity when they were 16, 17, and they were devastated as Christians because they'd been told that, you know, they couldn't, they were supposed to remain virgins until their wedding night. Now it was irretrievably smashed and broken and they could never get Mm -hmm. it back. And, you know, they were absolutely full of guilt and shame. And we mm. thought that's one big difference right there. We're not going to repeat that with our daughters. And we didn't. How old are your daughters now, Clint? Uh, they're in their early 20s now, 23, 24. They're, you know, been le- they've left the home, home years ago. So it's, but it's been really good. I mean, our, our daughters have gone out. Uh, well, one daughter, she, my oldest daughter, she came out as gay probably. I don't know, five or six years ago. And that was obviously a big thing. To, another aspect, you know, in the church, that would have never <laughs> been, mm-hmm. been a thing. You know, she would have been probably taken over to conversion therapy. And, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of my siblings have disowned us and her because she came out gay, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's another big difference that we don't care. She, you know, she's married. And unfortunately, that, that didn't work out. But it wasn't because of the fact that she was gay. It just the relationship didn't work out. It is very much a stereotypical thing, and I'm going to admit my own failings here, but as a as a man who's the father of a daughter and knowing how young teenage boys or even older teenage boys look at look at girls, it causes me a little distress to appreciate that to acknowledge that there'll be other boys who look at my daughter that way mm-hmm. and i I need to find a way to to deal with that. That's not my daughter's fault if that happens, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and I I need to to find a way to to handle that. I don't know if it's different for for a mother. Maybe the ladies on the call can answer that question for me. But that's something that I'm, and I think it would probably be harder for me to to handle that if I was still a Christian. Um, but certainly in context of if she comes say she comes to me in five years time and says daddy i'm pregnant one thing i know definitely won't happen is i won't be disowning her you know mm-hmm. i will be hugging her and i'll be loving her and she'll know that whatever happens next i'm her dad and i absolutely adore her there'll be absolutely no part of me which will be condemning her for failing to act perfectly and for disappointing me which is probably how I would have acted if I was still a Christian. So I'm, I rejoice mm-hmm. that that part of me is, is gone and that no matter how she comes to me, there will always be that, that hug from dad and that I love you and I affirm you. And if you need my help to work out whatever problem it is, I will work out that problem with you, but I will never be judging you for getting into, into that situation. And I, I absolutely welcome that. And I think that's, absolutely one part of me as a as a parent that has changed uh, but yeah so so the ladies on the call 
Is is there a different way in which mothers feel about daughters coming of age? Do you want to go first, Bethany? Uh, I mean, I have, two bo- I, well, I have two boys. So my thing probably would be just, I don't want to sex shame them as they get interested in sex and just uh, educate them and show them how to access birth control and stuff like that. I didn't get that luxury as a kid. It was, you're not doing this until you get married, so don't even think about it. Don't even ask, which didn't do me any good coming into my 20s. And all it did was, you know, lying to my mom, being afraid of being kicked out of the house when my brother was able to move out, live with his girlfriend at 25. And my mom was like, oh, well, boys will be boys. Yeah, okay. Thanks a lot, mom. Thanks a lot. But I'm not going to do that to Caden. Be like, listen, you know, there's these methods. You're going to use them. And if, be responsible. Use critical thinking. I'm not going to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe you want to be sexually active at 14. Right. With my situation, like, I look at how I grew up and how I thought that, you know, I was perfect in high school. I wasn't even allowed to date. The only thing I did in college was held hands with a boy. And, <laughs> and so the only person I've ever even made out with, was my husband and that was like when we were engaged to be married and that was horrible guilt but then you know you're guaranteed that your sex life is going to be amazing and God's gonna bless you well that's a load of bullshit Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we are 14 years into marriage and we still don't know what we're doing (laughs) Mm. so I don't want to do that to my girls because there is so much shame in purity culture for guys and for girls but like I guess now I I shock myself and I think I probably shock my husband too, but he seems to go along with it. He's always been a very passive parent and I don't say that to belittle him. It's just his personality. He's always just been like, whatever you say goes type of thing. And so the way I approach it now is okay. They're human. Sex is a human thing. Your sex hormones get going. Like when you're eight years old, even these days, I've been my five-year-old pleasuring himself. I'm just like, no God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) humping his hand on the ground I'm like oh stop (laughs) but hey that's what they do um (laughs) Mm. and so anyway so my approach now is just you know okay I want them safe I don't want them to be in a situation where they're going to be molested or sex trafficked we don't let them go out alone with a guy at this point my oldest is 15 but the guys can come here And if I get to know the mom, they can go to their house and things can happen between here and there, but they, we also openly have the talks with them that it's your body. You protect yourself. Don't get carried away. You know, we tell them, we we tell them that it's human and that we don't want them to have regrets, but we're not going to judge them. And we do not want them pregnant before they graduate from high school because it would be hard. But if that happens, we will fi- help them find a way through it so so that they just know that we're 100% sp- supportive and we don't want them to be feeling shame for what is a natural human thing. It's hard to navigate. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's a good example. You can use my own family as a case study of what happens, like what you were saying, Matthew, about, you know, shaming and uh, disowning your daughter. Because my oldest sister, Valerie, she did get pregnant when she was 17 and she ended up giving birth to a daughter and had to give her up for adoption. And my parents' response was to totally disown her. They shoved her into a foster home and forced her to basically, they kind of ostracized her from all of her friends, all of the family. 
and kind of forced her into this process of adoption. And then they wouldn't let her come back in after she'd had the baby and given her up for adoption. My mom said, well, you made your bed, now lie in it. I mean, she had no job. She had no money. She had nowhere to go. It was my her best friend's uh, parents who took her in and gave her a place to live and got, got her a job, got her an apartment, and helped get her back on her feet at 18 years old. You know, and, and these were Christian parents who did this mm-hmm. to her. And even now, to this day, my sister's in her late 50s, early 60s. Um, she's still dealing with the trauma. I mean, she's worked yeah. through a lot of that. But I mean, you know, decades later, she's still got that issue that she's had from her past. And that was all in the context of a Christian response. Because my parents they didn't tell us about sex. They, you know, they shamed us. And so when my sister was having sex, she... She really didn't think it would get her pregnant. She didn't know anything, you know. She didn't even know they she didn't was pregnant. Teach her that, right? No. <laughs> and so even then, you could lay some of the blame at my parents' door for not educating us as kids. And then my mom actually figured it out that that she was pregnant, and she didn't even know. My sister didn't even know. She's like, "I wonder why I've been sick in the mornings, and uh, you know things like that." And my mom said, "Well, you might be pregnant." Of course, that caused all this scandal. And my dad, he resigned as an elder of the church, and he gave this big speech in church about how, you know, as an elder, you've got to control your family, and my family's out of control because my daughter's pregnant, so I'm going to be stepping down, and everybody wept and prayed for, you know, all this. (laughs) So it became about him and not about her. Exactly. He got all the sympathy for stepping down as an elder. Meanwhile, she was banished off to a foster Uh. home over an hour away from where we lived. I only visited her one time because I was like, 10 years old so i couldn't drive obviously i had to rely on my parents to get us up there you know and then that that was hugely traumatic for all of us who had to see the whole thing go down that way so it caused a massive rift in our family and that was again that was a christian response to a 17 year old girl getting pregnant yeah there's no oh. forgiveness for that mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I, my heart breaks hearing that story because I'm going to guess the the relationship between that daughter and the father is, and her parents is probably not very good or has no. struggled. Yeah, they t- it took a long time to get to the point where they could even talk again. And then now, though, my mom and I and my we don't talk. We, we've completely that whole relationships is broken down uh, for a lot of other reasons, too. But, you know, it's it's a very dysfunctional situation in our family and some of them are still diehard, you know, fundamentalist Christian. And <laughs> they, they, like I say, they disowned me and my da- our daughter for being gay. So that tells you a lot of where they're, where they're coming from right now. Uh, that, that genuinely breaks my heart, Clinton. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really, really does. And, and I think it's this um, black and white uh, attitude that, that some forms of Christianity have which and especially around areas of sex although it probably touches other areas as well but you know something that should be precious and and intimate and and wrapped in in a loving environment is sometimes viewed with uh, such shame and scorn that the reaction to it genuinely breaks relationships and and creates damage you know uh, looking at my own relationship you know it's it's hard when you're in your young 20s, you're with someone you like, you know, and like it was with my wife and myself, and we were planning to get married, and we weren't married yet, and I was in the flat we were going to live in, and you're alone there together, but you're not yet married, you know, and the um, the awkwardness and, and the shame that 
brings on just because you have a bit of a fumble on the sofa is it just creates a problem that you then carry into the marriage and you know this this act that is supposed to be a celebration of love is viewed as something that you that you know it's like Gandalf there of the past thou shall not pass mm. you, you know mm-hmm. it creates such this wall of um of shame around around this act that when you come to the to the marriage bed you know all those habits of the past year you can't get rid of them mm-hmm. and it 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 doesn't bring the 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 freedom and and the passion and the and the intimacy with it because all that baggage has been been dragged in with it it just creates such an unhealthy environment and i hope that you know whatever happens over the over the next uh, few years that i'm i'm able to put something on my daughter that's uh of of wisdom and and of compassion that that doesn't create that for me because it 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 just drags damage in into all sorts of relationships mm-hmm. how old is your daughter you said she's a teenager yeah but she's uh approaching 16 ah mm. in fact quick plug here i, I this is going to go out on the still unbelievable podcast brand uh andrew andrew's not on this podcast but we normally podcast together we do another podcast called proscenium where we do other subjects which are non-religious and i actually got my daughter onto the episode of proscenium that's going to get uploaded over the weekend probably tomorrow so Mm. by the time you listen to this that episode will be up there go and listen to that and uh, hear my daughter and a couple of other teenagers talking about the current coronavirus and COVID-19 situation and how, how it's affected them. So that's the advertising break for this. But mm. I'd like to rewind a little bit when you guys were talking about Father Christmas and that kind of thing. My my daughter loves narratives and bits of creativeness and stuff. And when she was really young and the the wonderful precious tooth fairy started making occasional visits she started being really really sneaky so she'd put her tooth under the very middle of the pillow and make sure that (laughs) her hands were either side of it and her head on top when she went to sleep because she wasn't going to make it easy for the tooth fairy (laughs) to extract the tooth and then on top of that the tooth would then be wrapped in a piece of paper and the piece of paper would have a note on it which was a letter to the tooth fairy asking questions and then right at the end demanding an answer <laughs> to the hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> so i love it not only did we have to go through this obstacle course to extract the tooth and then open it out and then we had to compose a reply to all these questions pretending to be the tooth fairy so the tooth fairy became called annabelle and uh, we would do the thing and literally i would be on my computer typing it up in word and it would take me 40 minutes to do this and then to check it validate it then print it off and then fold it up and then creep back in and stick it back under a, a pillow again oh my tell you it was a right old and then after a while it became amusing and we we carried on with it but it wasn't very long and i can't remember how many times it it took but there was then one day she basically came to us and she'd sussed it all out in fact 
she'd sussed it out already and part of it all was just her doing you know joshua style tests to to work it out and, <laughs> and she came to us and said the tooth fairy is really you isn't it and my heart went yes finally no more no more notes they can all stop and she said no i want to carry on with the pretense don't be so silly that's hilarious and she milked it she absolutely milked it for all it was worth it really was it it was it was absolutely fabulous but it was it was a great example of her using critical thinking to to work things out to test the theory and idea that she had and then when she worked out she went and challenged it and found out she was right and i'm i'm confident that other parts of her life will will take the same level of of critical thinking obviously i'm not going to I'm not going to have that conversation where I'll say, oh, I really secretly hope that my daughter goes atheist. If she turns out to be a wonderful person and is still a Christian, then she's still my daughter and she's still a wonderful person and mm-hmm. she's still a Christian. You know, I won't love her any less. Let's make that absolutely clear. You know, I haven't got this deep-seated hope in my heart that she deconverts one day. That is absolutely not my agenda. I just want her to be the wonderful person that she still is. Yeah, along those lines, my desire for my kids is not that they are or aren't a Christian, but that they're free to think and that they give other people space to believe whatever they want without saying they have to believe their beliefs or go to hell. Like, I just want them to be people that see humanity for what it is and beliefs for being personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, good. And um, this leads into a question that I'd like to ask both um, both Bethany and uh, uh, Kyla. Among the conversations that I've had with my wife uh, about uh, me me being atheist and what my motives are and why do I do that we do and it's difficult for the Christian partner in in a situation like this I'm not going to pretend that that life is easy easy for them you know me doing this and being loud about atheism and podcasting about atheism and being critical about Christianity specifically that's difficult for for the other partner you know let's let's be honest uh, and uh, realistic about that it doesn't mean I love her any less I absolutely adore my wife she's a wonderful wife she's a wonderful mother but you know one of the things that we've had to navigate is do I now think that she's dim or unintelligent because I now no longer believe and now that's a myth about atheists that I think needs to to die so I know that's not what this episode is about there's a leading on to that you know when you're a Christian, the one thing that you hope for for your children is that they'll join you in the faith of their own free will and you'll see them be baptized. And that's a really driving motivation mm-hmm. as a Christian parent mm-hmm. to see your children through. So when your partner comes to you and says, well, actually, no, I don't believe any of this or I've rejected it all. I'm atheist. And not only am I atheist, but I'm going to be actively atheist as well. The fear that that Christian partner now has is that that atheist partner now wants to do the opposite you know and they want to be motivated to deconvert my child and take my child in into atheism and turn them into an anti-theist that isn't on my agenda either and I want to bust that myth as an atheist parent uh, as well as a deconverted parent I don't have that as a motivating factor in doing any of this at all I haven't got my daughter as as a target to 
deconvert her to bring her over to my way of thinking the same way that Christians have for their children. That just isn't there at all. That's not a feature. I want an intelligent child. I want a funny child. I want a child that I adore and who adores me back, a child that's going to wipe the dribble off my chin when I'm too old to be able to do it myself. And then more importantly, I want a child that is prepared to question and to challenge assumptions and beliefs. Whatever conclusion she comes to after that is up to her. I just want somebody who is going to be prepared to answer back and to challenge and to question and not just accept things on face value, no matter who they're from. And that means including things that I say. Yeah, it's never even crossed my mind to even think like that until you brought that up. So that's definitely not an issue for all atheists. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think sometimes we really need to hammer that home. Yeah. No, uh, like you. Go ahead, Bethany. Well, yeah, what I was going to say is, you know, my experience is when I started backing off, like the heavy, hardcore, militant, atheist, deconverted, angry phase, we were able to have better conversations, my husband and I. So, like, we actually came more together, like, on talking with, with Caden and, talk, and, you know, incorporating, like, free thinking stuff, like, with both of our boys. Because you got to, like, work all through that. Because if you're not thinking, like, what you're going to say, or if you're, like, always, like, at this combative stage, you're never going to get anywhere. Your kids and stuff. And, like, even... I can introduce a little bit of critical thinking to Caden. My, my child knows how to define a circular argument. Like if I say mm. something that's not quite right, he's like, that's not an answer. <laughs> nice. Like, ooh, you ooh, got I should, you got me. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you're right. It's circular. But yeah, I want to give Caden and Jetson the opportunity to think for themselves and present it all out to him, but I don't want him to be mean to his friends who more than likely worship Jesus. And I mean, he goes to a daycare that has a Christian curriculum, but we've had conversations. He doesn't really think Jonah was swallowed by a whale or people come back from the dead. I mean, those are simple conversations to have that aren't terribly threatening. Mm. No, you're right. They're, they're not. And that's exactly all I want from my daughter as well. My husband has actually been really good and giving me the space. Um, like he, he doesn't look at me terrified as a Christian that I would do anything to our kids. In fact, he's also been willing to create videos for me because he's a videographer. He's offered to make videos for me for stuff that I want to say or do in relation to my deconversion. And I'm like, how can you do this for me when you're still a Christian how can you tell my story? And he's like, well, because it's your story. I don't control what you believe and you didn't do this on purpose. This just happened to you. So mm -hmm. while he's still a very strong Christian in his head, he doesn't, he doesn't push that on me at all. It's an interesting relationship for sure. That's very cool. Yeah, um, it really is. If you'll permit me asking it, feel free not to answer, but what's, what challenges has been, in a mixed faith marriage brought into parenting? Um, it's challenging. It was more challenging at first to see my husband walking out the door with all my kids on Sundays while I stayed home and didn't even understand what was happening to me at the time. I just knew I was not a Christian anymore. And so that was heart wrenching. But six months into that, half the kids started staying home. But it's still weird to see your husband and half your children going to church when you want to be a, you want your family to be a part of something as a whole and it's impossible. Um, and that's, 
extremely extra painful in my marriage because my husband and I met long distance and married specifically to serve God together and raise our kids together. Like we didn't marry Mm -hmm. for love. We married for God. And now everything that we married for is completely gone. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so that's, that's an interesting challenge. Like we married fast. Like, okay, we're going to raise, we were 24, 27, going to raise kids for God, go to the mission field when we retire and had it Mm. all planned out. And now it's in the dumpster. (laughs) Mm. My husband felt betrayed when I came out as an atheist to him because he's like, well, I thought we said our marriage vows in front of God. What happened? Mm. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, I was dishonest with him for several years just because of shame. And I just didn't know if we could have that conversation and eventually it just came to the point where I had to have that conversation with him and it was really hard. I mean, he had a lot of questions and he felt really betrayed in it and it took several months of visiting, whether it was sessions in Christian counseling, then it evolved where I changed counselors and we were encouraged or my therapist, my new one said, hey, why don't you need to go find community and go find like-mindedness. And it wasn't until we got into our community in Nashville with Sunday Assembly till we started having better conversations and he got to meet with other non-believers, secular, whatever they were, seeing people that were gay couples, seeing people that were whatever beliefs they were. And it was a non-believer secular. He stopped having like these straw men type of what is an atheist and who are they? And being in a free thinking type of environment and seeing like how he thought people at that group were way more authentic than the people we would meet at church or even knew who were Christians. And that fundamentally changed who he was too. So, but it was really hard because my ideas completely conflicted with his, especially with parenting. The Christian counselor really was not quite saying it, but I think he was wanting us to separate or divorce. And my husband was supposed to be head of the household and get me into the submissive wife role. And I couldn't do it. I refused. Like every part of me just like resisted and recoiled at that. I was like, I could not be that submissive wife type. That's not me. (laughs) Me either. (laughs) I am am so, so happy. I don't have a wife who abides by the, submit, the submissive wife stereotype. I, I really am. I think it would just drive me potty to have a wife who was would just do what I said or, or just go with my opinion all the time. <laughs> you know, That's really encouraging to hear from a guy, honestly. Oh, oh yeah. thank you, because I it would just be so boring. Okay, mm-hmm. having a fight isn't a fun thing, but you know, she has her own opinion and she says her own opinion and that's exactly what i want i want that's how you have a partner somebody who is submissive isn't a partner they're subservient and i really don't helpmate. want that as a wife <laughs> yeah Nathan, <laughs> <laughs> you have a bucket over there you've been throwing up this whole <laughs> yeah. thank goodness she doesn't listen to this podcast you know <laughs> she might this time yes and <laughs> um, I, what you said, kind of about um, the the kids going to church. I I think I kind of get what you were saying about it breaking your heart when they're walking out the door, because um, when I stopped going to church, it was my history of coming out to my wife is not great, and I always say, if you're losing your faith, this is not the way to do it to your partner. I 
kept it secret from my wife you know for as long as i possibly could and i think it was it was three years after it was a done deal before she found out and even then i didn't tell her until i absolutely had to and that's really not not the way to do it people talk early it saves an awful lot of hassle but uh, that's not really the point of what i was saying you know watching so i stopped going to church because there was a bit of a falling out with the pastor at the church we were going to and it was i was given an opportunity to to not go so i just took it and i said okay right i'll stay at home now so i didn't go to church on sundays anymore and it i just let it be accepted that it was because i i didn't get on with the pastor anymore so mm. those sunday mornings became my time and yes there was sadness in watching my my really young daughter because she was a really young girl then go out out the door door to church but at the same time I made that time my time so that was a time of the week that was me so that's when I go and read blogs and I started blogging my my own out of faith journey at that time and you know or have a few hours on the xbox and that kind of thing so that was the time for me and now my daughter's past her mid-teens she's occasionally making the decision that she doesn't want to go to church today so nice. she'll stay home and so sometimes I go you know what I want this time I actually want these three four hours <laughs> my own. you know I've, I've got to spend a bit of time editing a podcast or or catching up on on listening to some podcasts or even that precious couple of hours on the xbox and you've just robbed me of all of that <laughs> i get that yeah, absolutely. <laughs> i send my five-year-old to the nursery at church for that reason i'm like no you don't have a choice you're going you go play <laughs> <laughs> of course now that we're all in shutdown i've completely lost my 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 free time now oh, right? because it, it's uh mm-hmm. it's church at home now because uh they all they're, they're doing it on zoom meetings and all sorts so um i've completely lost that time of my own that's wow. sad that's amazing <laughs> yeah so yeah that's that's um the laugh at matthew moment <laughs> yeah. do do or any cry of you, with matthew <laughs> yeah. do any of you go to church at all no i don't know no. No. for years Last time I was in a church was at a funeral, and we were completely offended at the way the pastor, the preacher, set the whole thing up. You know, it was like an evangelistic altar call type moment, and that's we turned to each other. We're like, okay, so this is why we don't go to church anymore. We're not doing this. Yeah, I left a year ago in March, and I never stepped foot back into that church. Right. So I visited a friend's church when I was at her um, wedding. Um, she was marrying her wife. So that was a cool wedding to go to. And their church was, you know, good because it was very accepting of everybody. The pastor was even at their lesbian wedding. So, mm. you know, that was easy to handle. Don't need to I, go back. Yeah. I, sorry, Bethany, you again? It's been about 10 years for me or more. Really? That's amazing. Um, <clears throat> do you not get the jitters after that long period of time? <laughs> Mm-mm. Nope. <laughs> no. Oh, I I'm so glad that I've never had to step foot back in there. Mm. I do still occasionally. I'm I'm asked if I'll go on Christmas Day, and I'm I'm okay to go with that. Go with the family, and do that. And there might be one or two other services in the year that I might go to for occasions. But I am I'm literally uh if it's something something special, and I'm asked to go along, then I'll I'll go along. Uh, my wife knows I 
I don't enjoy it, don't appreciate it, and I don't get anything from it. So she ain't asked me, but she does for the odd occasion. So I'm quite happy to oblige for that. So it tends to be Christmas. I think the last two Christmases were the only two times I've been in recent years, but I will occasionally for for other things. There's one little anecdote which will cause you guys to um, to shake your head, and this is one of the reasons why I don't particularly want to go to. Actually, before I go on to that, the pastor of of the church he's a good lad yeah i like him i would even go so far as to call him a friend him and his wife they're they're really cool and whenever i do go to church he comes up to me and he says hello matthew glad to see you you still haven't caught fire i notice and it's it's brilliant you know it's pretty good it it is so i i joke and i i said to him once um if I came in with a T-shirt which said, help, I'm atheist to get me out of here. And he said, oh, I'd laugh. He said, he didn't even let me finish the question. So that's the kind of guy he is. So that's the kind of person I want to be pastor of a church. And I'll quite happily go to that kind of church on on an occasional basis. Because if we can't joke about our places in life with each other, then we've lost half of our humanity. So mm-hmm. I like him because he's absolutely that kind of guy. So anyway, so I mentioned earlier that my daughter got baptized. So obviously I was going to go go to that. You know, I don't care that I, I don't agree with much of what was going on, but it was important to her and she wanted me to be there because I'm her dad. She loves me and she wants the people that she loves to be part of that important moment in her life. So, of course, I was going to go. There was no other, <laughs> there was nothing that was going to stop me otherwise. So in the weeks leading up to her baptism, we had a genuine family emergency the other side of the country. And I'm not going to go into details because it's not appropriate and, and not really that relevant that I, I go into the details of what it was. But there was a, a, a genuine family emergency involved hospital and risk of death and all thoughts. It was an absolutely terrible time. And I took a week off work and I was going to go up and spend time with the family member who was having the issue because this person needed physical support, needed somebody with them literally just to help them through day-to-day life because it was a highly, highly serious, stressful situation. And it just happened that this critical family emergency clashed with the the date that my daughter was, was going to get baptized and it was literally a case of i was gonna have to drive six hours halfway across the country two days before my daughter was going to get baptized and so i was going to miss it and so i just said this is the situation this looks like it was going to be and my daughter bless her just said it's okay dad that situation is far more important it's fine you go and then circumstances changed and my dad went and took my place and i went the following week so i was around for for my daughter's baptism and obviously being the church and being where play prayer groups going to church many people in the church knew about the situation that was going on and were were praying for it so i go to attend the baptism and then over a cup of coffee afterwards one of the people from the church who knows about the situation comes and and, and asks me and, and how things are and i say you know i was actually supposed to drive up to two days ago and i was just about to say you know but you know my dad's up there instead so i'll go this way and this guy interrupted me and said but you know you've got priorities you know <laughs> implying that the higher priority was to be at the baptism wow. and yeah. it it just 
so it took my breath away. I was dumbfounded for a very split second. I very nearly said something I- extremely rude. And I, I think I just ended the sentence and politely excused myself from the conversation because I just couldn't bear to be standing in the presence of this, this person any longer. It, it, it really was it. it. It shook me quite a lot. I thought he was going to say it was an answer to our prayer that you got <laughs> to stay home. <laughs> I was expecting that. Yeah, well, it's possible that it's possible that he thought that uh, that that too. Um, I I don't know. Um, conversations with our parents can feel so oppressive. Yeah. One question that I want want to ask, and I guess this is probably where I want to an important part of the message that I want to get from from this episode is, what would you want Christians to to take from? from you as an atheist parent, what message would you want Christians to receive as, as atheist parents, if that question makes any sense? Mm. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I, was right. gonna, I, I would say that the whole, they, they need to look at the quote unquote biblical teachings on marriage and family, child rearing, all the things we've been talking about, all that stuff comes from the Bible. Spanking your kids, the wife submitting to the husband, the, the he- husband, the head of the household, the head of the family. She has to submit to his leadership, and this is all set up by God. And all those things, a purity culture, that does incalculable damage. It can do to kids, to wives, to husbands. I saw it in my family. I've given examples after example of that. And so you think, okay, if God is somehow behind all this, why is there such dysfunction? Why isn't there a perfect system instead of what we tend to see? You know, I I would just get him to maybe question some of those things. I'm not trying to talk anybody out of their faith, but there's a lot of questions and the, the evidence is all there. Yeah, I would want Christians to be open to that research and the facts, you know, and that's, you know, that's what it did for me. Like, wait a minute, if if the research is not supporting this and this has long-term effects for you into adulthood, um, how you raise your children emotionally and physically and how you administer discipline and how you treat them, um, you know, be open to better information. Yes, I know the Bible is the only thing, but like, let's be open about having a conversation about what sources would you consider valid? Because you have to get to the essentially the root, their epistemology. Where mm. are they coming from? And and my problem too. And any advice for atheists and Christian, try to meet people where they're at. Mm. Because if you don't do that, you're just going to talk past each other and create a lot of unnecessary angst that's probably not even needed. Well, yeah. they'll probably double down. You know, that's the thing is that people generally don't become convinced when you marshal all these incredible, impressive facts and arguments, do they? They tend to double down. They tend to dig in. And so you're not even going to get through to them. So that's a good point, I right. think, Bethany. You need to be able to have an open discussion. And if you can't, you're you're just going to be banging your head against the wall. You're never going to convince them. And they're not going to convince you otherwise that you should come back to the to the faith either. Mm-hmm. One thing that I would want to say to them is, okay, so I was born into the faith and I lived wholeheartedly, had a really strong relationship with God. 
not the religion, but the relationship, you know, that we all talk about for 37 years. And I was intent and I thought that I loved genuinely. And I thought that I didn't judge people. I thought, you know, cause you could set, you could go down on the gays and be like, the Bible says this, and I'm not judging. This is what the Bible says. But once I lost my faith and saw people for just being human, I realized how much more I loved every single one, like not even knowing them, but looking into their eyes and just feeling this love just grow in me for them and not judging them no matter where they were in life. Like I never had that as a Christian. Like I thought I did, but I didn't know what I didn't have until it grew in me after I lost God. Hmm. So, and another thing that has helped me too with relating to people that are still Christians is while I'm studying psychology to be a therapist, I have learned that what whatever you're immersed in the first several years of your life, you're forming those paradigms and you're just going to, as it's fed to you all your life, you're going to believe that you're going to latch onto that. And your brain is literally not capable of seeing anything else if you don't allow yourself to question outside of your paradigm. So it's important mm. to question. It's important to question outside of your denomination. It's important to read literature outside of your denomination and your version of the Bible and like what other preachers and what scientists say, because if you don't do that, you're guaranteed to stay where you are. Mm. Well, that's a good challenge. I love that. I think the message that I want to give is treasure your children and the relationship with your children above pretty much anything else. Actually, if being right is more important to you than the relationship with your child, then I want to suggest that there's something not right going on there in the relationship between you and your child. You should be prepared to compromise and to sacrifice for the benefit of your child. Because if you truly are a Christian, isn't that what you believe God did for you? Therefore, you should do the same for your child. And if being right is more important than the well-being of your child, then you're doing something wrong. And I want to uh, give uh, an, ex an example of that because we should be prepared to, to change when it comes to, to change our minds and to change our views, especially when it comes to the well-being of our children. Among the conversations that I've had with my daughter, because you know, she's been having a difficult time lately with the whole coronavirus and the, the global shutdown etc because she's got important exams at the end of her school year and they've all been cancelled in the UK I believe over in America they've cancelled end of school year exams uh, as well and that's that's a challenge and that's a problem so you know I've said to my daughter you know if you're struggling with this talk to me you know let's talk it through and she does and she's very good at that and I've said to her in the past one thing that would break my heart is if I knew you were struggling about something, something was causing you a lot of distress and you felt that you were unable to come and talk to me about it. Because you can guarantee if you're having problems, you're, having, you're in distress and you need my help, the one thing I'll never do is judge you for wanting to talk to me about it. So please, regardless of what it is, you know, if I can do something, if I can help you, come and talk to me about it because I will never turn you away for a situation like that. So the story that I want to tell to illustrate why it's really important that we, we compromise for the sake of our children, and it's uh, the story of my, my mother and my grandparents. My, my mother died 10 years ago, so there's no fear of her being embarrassed by this. When she was in 
her young 20s, early 20s, about 24, I, I believe. She had a boyfriend. I don't know how serious the relationship was, but she fell pregnant uh, in that relationship. And her parents were very strict brethren. So her parents immediately said, well, you've got to marry him now. So that's what happened. They had a very quickly arranged shotgun wedding and that is how I came to be. So of course, yeah, the marriage eventually failed. My mum got remarried, etc. And then someone else, many, many years later, my mum's parents are now grandparents and someone else in the family, one of their grandchildren, not me, I hasten to add, gets a girl pregnant at 18 and they're just talking practicalities, what they're going to do. And the very first thing I hear my grandparents say to this grandchild of theirs is, don't feel that you have to marry her. And you should have seen the look on my mother's face. Mm. <laughs> you know, it was, what the hell? And they realized that perhaps that that action, that decision all those years ago. And I know my mum, my mum dearly loved her parents. I, I know that for a fact. And she never told me any of the challenges that she had in that relationship. She was an only child. They were very strictly religious. And I know my mum had some difficulties and some challenges because they had very strict rules about not spending money on a Sunday. And my mum never went to the movies, movie theatre until after she'd left home. So that kind of thing. So she had a very shut down, very sheltered upbringing. So I, I think there was a little bit of tension uh, as a result of that. But she dearly loved her parents. And this mm. response from them, however many years later <clears throat> it was, might have been 30 years later. I can't remember how many years, 25 years later, whatever. Yeah, it genuinely took my mother by surprise. Yeah, but people do sometimes see that actually the decisions that they've made a long time ago, thinking they were right, but putting their children through a difficult situation weren't necessarily the right decision to do. So the message I want to be to say with Christians is the hard line line is not necessarily always the right one. If there is a risk in the relationship to your child, dare to think again mm -hmm. and maybe pri maybe prioritize the relationship with your child. I know I would. Yeah, mm. definitely. Good, good advice. I think, well, just it's my different perspective because of the fact that me and my wife were on the same page, fortunately. And I, I feel for, you know, Kayla and Bethany that they've got additional challenges with a a spouse who's on a different a different page or in a different place and they've got kids whereas I, I guess looking at it now the fact that we deconstructed together and our girls were of an age that they wanted to get away we feel very very fortunate that we didn't have to go through all the other stuff because obviously relationships break up marriages fall apart you know people are mm -hmm. devastated when they are just cannot reconcile their belief systems anymore so that's a huge problem it is. Yeah. I love your story, Clint. I love that y'all, mm. I don't love that y'all had to go through that, but I love that your family did it as a unit instead of mm. somebody being isolated by themselves. Yeah. And moving over here to the UK, I now see was a huge piece of that because we, we were away from the Christian context that like you're saying in America, it's every, there's a church on every street corner. Everybody's a Christian around you. You can't get away from it. Whereas here it's a lot more open. So I mm -hmm. feel very fortunate. In a way, I was able to kind of reinvent myself because over there, everybody that knew me knew me as the ex-pastor and guy that went to Bible college and seminary. And 
I was identified by my Christian past. Whereas here, I just can't, hey, this is who I am. <laughs> you mm. know, mm. nobody knows me. So I'm That's free so to reinvent awesome. myself. Yeah. So it's I'm moving freeing. in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, we're on lockdown, Kayla. You can't oh, come crap. in yet. <laughs> You're right. God. I couldn't even if I tried. <laughs> yeah. I'd have to get my little get boat come over in the. <laughs> Row your boat across the pond. <laughs> right? Literally, row because nobody's going to take me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, the whole process can be a very lonely. It is a very lonely process if your partner's not doing it with you. Yeah. And one of the things that encouraged me to keep quiet about it was when I went out and read blogs about people who were going and found blogs rather that about people who either were going through or had gone through the same situation. Time and time again, I just kept seeing marriages had failed as a result of that. And it seemed to be such a high attrition rate of marriages where one was going and the other one wasn't and that scared me it absolutely genuinely scared me and that's one of the reasons why I kept quiet about it and didn't talk to my wife because I thought you know what if she decides that she doesn't want to be with me anymore and we've got this daughter and my parents separated when I was nine years old and it was absolutely terrible for me and I thought it was all my fault that they'd separated and I had all this angst all the way through my teenage years and it took me years and years to recover from that and I absolutely didn't want to put that on my daughter and just all this this fear and this this self-doubt just came crumbling in on me now as I was doing that and part of me kind of wishes that maybe I shouldn't have been so keen to go online and maybe I should have just talked first and maybe it would have all been different but there's no point living on maybes what happened is is what happened and we're we're dealing with it now the I think the the you know the important thing is to deal with it as positively as we we can now Mm -hmm. but you know my advice to anybody coming new into this is talk just just go and talk take the gamble and talk it's better to talk sooner it, it really really yeah. is. It is, it is and it's so much better to feel free and like you're genuinely being yourself than feeling like you have to hide half of yourself oh, and yes. who you really are mm-hmm. yeah finding community has made the difference all the difference and even finding even if it's online you don't have anywhere local especially if you're struggling with any of that like go Go find some like-minded people and have those conversations if you're like, hey, I want to talk to my spouse about this. Has this ever happened to you before? Of course, you know, take it with your mm-hmm. grain of salt. You know, everybody's got a unique situation. But um, I'm telling you, without just like being just aimlessly wandering on YouTube and Twitter, I wouldn't be here on this podcast today. Same. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah, same. The the deconstruction podcasts out there and there are so many out there if you guys know of any resources specific to this subject about parenting out of faith shout them up we we really should have looked for those and seen if there are any that we could uh, put up or send them to me in an email and i'll put them in the show notes for this because i know there's a few out there about you know talking with your spouse or partner about deconstruction and and that but i'm i don't know if there are any specifically about the change in parenting so do you guys know of any off the top of your head uh dale mcgowan sorry Sorry, say that again Uh, go ahead oh dale mcgowan okay i'll have to look him up there's also something called deconstructed parenting i think it's a podcast and she's got i think she has a website and a facebook page i don't know a lot about it i'm 
clearly still too new to this because you know a, a sensible podcast host would have done some research and found them <laughs> mm. <laughs> that's okay there's also a group on facebook i think called raising kids unfundamentalist oh okay that Ooh. sounds cool i'm gonna have to look that yeah, one up in that group so i'll try to remember to find it for you and send it to you if you don't get it excellent mm. Thank you so much. This has been useful. And I think it's good to know as parents that there are other people who have navigated this road before. And the important thing for us to acknowledge as human beings is we're not going to be perfect every single time. You know, we're going to make some tough decisions every now and then. The important thing is that we own the mistakes mm -hmm. and and move mm -hmm. on and get on with and correct it. And I think I'm better at admitting mistakes and accepting where I failed now than I was five, ten years ago. Mm. And you know, I, I think that's a better, better parent to be in. So mm. thank you for coming on here and, and sharing with me your experiences. I think it's a really important thing to think to. If you're an atheist parent in a difficult situation like that, go and hit the resources that we've talked about. We'll see if we can put them in the show notes. There are other people out there. Reach out. The deconstructed community on Facebook and on Twitter is getting really mature. There are lots of us out there. It really wasn't the way it is 10 years ago when I was struggling around it through my deconstruction. There are so many more of them now. Reach out. Put a note, a plea for help on Twitter. Somebody will pick it up. You'll be amazed how quick the atheist community is on twitter and picking these things up and it will float around and someone will contact you or reach out find a atheist podcast and reach out to someone even if they're not the right person they can put you in touch with with somebody who might be the right person or they might know somebody who, who knows someone just do that reach out and touch mm -hmm. somebody's hand how that Absolutely. song goes <laughs> uh, and uh, <laughs> somebody will will help you out any final closing thoughts from any of you? Well, you made me think of something while you were talking about, you know, the last two things you were talking about. My brain is so sketchy. Sorry. But like when you were talking about not always having to have it right, like one thing that makes a big difference to me and my kids is when we know when we realize we did something wrong, not just giving yourself space for that and being compassionate with yourself, but apologize to your kids because mm -hmm. that is huge. My parents <clears throat> never apologized to me growing up. I was always the one that was wrong. And when we can admit that we're wrong and tell our kids, hey, I'm not perfect. I did not mean to hurt you. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. You know, that is just so huge in relationship, relationship building and building trust with our kids. Mm -hmm. oh, I'd agree. Absolutely. It's so true. I've heard from people who, have ju who are just devastated because they've lost their relationship with their children because of that. You know, they've de deconverted and their kids have too, but they're so angry about the way they were raised in, you know, fundamentalism or in a cult or something like that. And they don't have a relationship with them anymore. Mm -hmm. So that, that, yeah, that's very devastating. Yeah, that's a good thing. My daughter is very good at pointing out when I've messed up and done something wrong. So I have absolutely no option but to say, I'm sorry, honey, <laughs> I messed up. And I wouldn't have it any other way, to be quite yeah. honest. You know, uh -huh. I am glad that she feels comfortable that she can just say that to me. I just have to deal with the fact that it's coming from a teenager. So it sounds sarcastic <laughs> every right. single time. I just need to deal with that. But, you know, but Matthew, if... Yeah, that's she, awesome because yeah. you do have an option. My parents 
will not like I've told them how they hurt me as a teenager and they come back with backlash at me for it oh. when I'm trying to heal our relationship. Mm. So oh, that's that, awesome that, that as a dad you will hear that from your teenager. That's yeah. huge. Mhm. Thank you. I I love her dearly. It's not great to be told that you're wrong all the time, but <laughs> there we go. <laughs> My daughter does it too. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Yeah, it was so funny. Oh, she, she, she's brilliant. I absolutely love her dearly. And um, when she was recording with these other girls on the podcast over on Proscenium, right at the tail end of the podcast when I was closing out, I, I said, it's been really nice for, for me and Andrew to be be quiet and not say much for this episode and let everybody else uh, do all the talking. And my daughter said, mm-hmm. yes, it was like that for me as well. <laughs> <laughs> they I are said, sassy little things. I know. I thought, oh, yeah. it, girl, you said Singer. it right on the recording, so I I didn't edit it out. I just left it in there. I thought, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Leave it there. <laughs> Leave it there. Exactly. Hilarious. Well, I'll let you guys get onto your evening. Although it's probably still afternoon for for you ladies. Thank you so much for thank you for for thank joining you. me on this. Yeah, Hopefully, thank you. this has been useful have a wonderful easter shutdown and i'll talk to you on time yeah thank you very much you have been listening to a podcast by reason press to get in touch email reasonpress at gmail.com or see our website reasonpress.net where you'll also find our book still unbelievable we welcome more feedback and you might even end up on an episode our theme music was written for us by holly you can hear more of her music at soundcloud.com slash hollybishop. You can support us by buying some of Holly's music and telling her we sent you.